10, verses 20 and 21, as we continue our series through the second part of the book of Proverbs, where we are exploring themes from Proverbs chapters 10 through 31 that address specific areas of our daily lives. So each week for me, as I prepare a sermon, I am getting ready to preach, I click on the same program. I open a blank document, and my normal settings for the program display a number at the bottom of my screen. And as I type, that number goes up. It's my word count. I go into each week with the same rough number in my head for the amount of words I have. And if the number on the screen is larger, words have to go. Too many words is unhelpful, but also too few words are unhelpful. So the goal is not simply to hit a word target for me, but to use enough of the right words to communicate to you what I believe the scriptures are saying, because words matter, every one of them. This morning, we're going to explore what the Proverbs would tell us about how we use our words. We will not be able to cover everything that the Proverbs says, but we're going to try to cover many things. Today, we're going to talk about our talk. And I joked with Caleb Tobat this week that if I had to summarize what I think the Proverbs teaches about words, it's this. Shh. Like seriously, just shh. That's not to say the Proverbs teach us to be silent. By no means. But in our world of words, less is often better. But if you're like me, silence and quiet is uncomfortable. And I, in my discomfort, fill space with words. Thus, I often, probably daily, fall into the fool category. Others of you might be thinking, Proverbs tells me I don't have to talk to people? That is the best news I have heard this week. No, that's not what they say. Proverbs don't remove speech from us, but teach us how to speak wisely, which means speaking in a godly way. Talking, hear me friends, talking is a gift. Words are meaningful. And how we who trust in the Lord speak matters if we would be wise. Moreover, God is actually not shy about telling you and I how much our words matter. So listen as I read these two verses to begin. Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you wondered about how serious your words are, you need wonder no more. 
This short proverb couplet is using the imagery of farming to relate the cause and effect relationship of our words. If we speak wisely, the fruit of our speech will be satisfying. Yet, that same couplet says the same for if we speak foolishly. Because we will be finding satisfaction in our foolish speech. Yet, one satisfaction leads to life. The other satisfaction leads to to death. You will reap what you sow with your words. Charles Bridges, Bridges, the Victorian preacher, says it this way, who does not take care about what seeds he sows? The farmer knows that his harvest is dependent on which seed he scatters. The fruit of our lips, the power of our tongue can give one of two harvests. It can be poisonous or wholesome. It can lead to life or death. Evil words tend to death. Good words to life. Good words bring comfort to the speaker as well as to the listener. There is no middle path. There are only extremes. It is either the worst of evils or the best of blessings. Do you regularly stop to consider your words? Or do you tend to live with an endless, unfiltered stream of thoughts coming out of your mouth? The Lord would have us measure our speech always to exercise care, restraint, boldness with gentleness, toughness with tenderness, Honesty with encouragement. Why? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. But we, we, we have a right to kind of ask, where would such a thought come from? Why would the sage tell us this? Well, church, consider this. Consider how the Lord chose to create. As Chad just reminded us in praying, he, he didn't create with nods silent thoughts or gestures. No, our God, Yahweh, spoke and the universe and all that was within it came into existence. He speaks. And one of the most glorious realities about you and I is that like God, we have been given the gift of words. And our use of words, though not on God's level, is infused with tremendous power. I like how The pastor, Ray Ortland says this, the fact that we speak at all is an obvious sign that God made us. God uses words. Animals do not. You might be able to teach a dolphin to say a few words, but you can't get a little child to quiet down. Words mark us as human in the image of God. Like God, we use words to create trust and form relationships and build community. But unlike God, we use words to destroy trust and break relationships and divide community. Like God, we use words for one heart to touch another heart at a deep level. But unlike God, we use words for one heart to break another heart at a deep level. Friends, Don't miss this. Our words are a precious opportunity for each of us to reflect the image of our creator in a way that is distinct and unique from the rest of the created order. 
It's also an opportunity for you and I to do nearly irreparable harm to others should we choose to speak sinfully or foolishly. So as we explore what the Proverbs says concerning our words, the very first thing we must not miss is this. Every one of us has power when we speak. We must not miss at the very beginning that words are powerful. And I think that that is so intuitive to most of us. I think we understand that words are powerful, but yet how many of us live so carelessly with our speech? We speak harshly to our spouse or our kids. We speak quickly and without thought. We speak more than is wise to say. We speak lies to ourselves about who we are. We speak lies to others about who they are. We speak loudly of our greatness, but we whisper about our failures. Or worse, we say that they're not that big of a deal. We speak to our Heavenly Father very little and speak of Him very lightly. We know our words matter. I believe that many of us know that. Yet in our lives, how much of our talk functionally contradicts what we know to be true about our mouths? Or worse, we are unaware that our words have the power of life and death. And we just simply can't make ourselves care about how we use them. But here's the hope. Here's the hope, church. The Lord can and does change us by His Spirit, and this includes our speech. We can learn by God's grace and mercy to speak wisely. The Proverbs do not tell us what to say in every circumstance, nor how we should respond to every word spoken to us, yet the Proverbs do give us helpful warnings and encouragements to guide us as we speak. This is why we study the Proverbs to get wisdom or to gain skill in the art of godly living, right? We could go further this week and say that Proverbs teach us skill in the art of godly speaking. Which is what we've already seen is of great importance if our words have the power that the Bible says they do. Sometimes you will hear a parent say to a child who is crying or babbling or seeking something from mom or dad, the parent will say some variation of this, use your words, use your words. The Puritans would often preach sermons much longer than mine. You're welcome. And they would come to a point in the sermon where they described the uses of the text. So we're going to consider the rest of our time today with with that kind of pattern. We're going to consider using our words. So starting with this, use your words to give life. Use your words to give life. If life and death is in the power of the tongue, then as Christians, it should be the overwhelming general pattern of our speech to give life to others with our words. But before we get too far, you need to understand this. You cannot give what you have not received. If we would use our words to give life, we must first have received the words of life. And where, where, beloved, do we find such words? Well, certainly here in the pages of God's word, Because we remember what the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Your Bible is no dead book. 
It is living truth. We receive living words when we read and study the scriptures. But the scriptures point us beyond themselves. It's not that we have a book. It's that we have a savior, right? To something greater. The the words testify to something greater, don't they? Remember when Jesus asked a hard question to his disciples, whether they're going to abandon him and crowds are walking away from him and they're leaving and Peter gave this beautiful confession. Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hear hear me, friends. Jesus speaks the words of eternal life to you. And this word is the gospel, that if you repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone, you have forgiveness for every toxic word that you have spoken. And the toxic words that people have spoken about you cannot keep you from the eternal life that Jesus gives. He is the living word made flesh who came and dwelt among us to give us life for us that we might receive the words of life from him. Will you speak wisely only if you will first incline your ear to the words of life and apply your heart to the truths of the gospel? And then as you and I are transformed by the Spirit of God, our words begin to change from bringing death to bringing life. That's what the sage says in Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Because life-giving words mark the people of God, we would speak like Jesus if we would speak life, but we must listen to him as he speaks to us first. And the Proverbs lay this before us repeatedly, what Christ-like speech sounds like. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, again, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Our our words there in that, that proverb are compared to a fountain. When you are thirsty and parched from the endless stream of words that you're hearing from the world, that people are saying to you, you can turn to Jesus and drink from his true words and not the lies that surround us. And then the beautiful reality here is that we are given the opportunity to be life-giving fountains to others. We do this when we tell our non-Christian friends about the hope that we have in Jesus and how they can have that hope if they would hear his voice. That's life-giving speech. We do this when we speak the life-giving promises to each other. When we text or meet up or call or talk here in our gatherings, we can be a fountain of life as we speak the words of life to each other. Moms, do you do this when you tell your, or you do this when you tell your children the way Jesus is changing you and how he can change them too? Fathers, you do this when you leave a legacy of gospel words to your children treasured in their hearts long after you're gone. Listen to another proverb, Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Some of, us, some of us just need to be reminded right now that gentleness marks the life-giving speech of Christians. How do we speak to each other? 
in person, on social media, via email or text? Would other people in your life characterize your speech as gentle or harsh? Many of us would be ashamed if the screen to my left replayed all of your talk from the last week. Every word. Your words spoken in your home, through your text messages, in your heart. You'd be horrified, as I would be. Beloved, there's a real reminder that life-giving words are not often shouted at people, but gently spoken to people. I don't mean to intend you to hear gentle as spineless or talking real quietly. But rarely can we say that shouting and gentleness go hand in hand. Far more, we must admit that our speech is often brutal, not gentle. Being snarky isn't cute. It's not even really funny. It's actually probably unwise, perhaps even sinful and destructive. Perhaps for some of us this week, and I'll say perhaps for Mike this week, he needs to confess to the Lord and to others that the way I often speak is too harsh. Mike Navarre feels that too. And <laughs> Eddie Mike feels that. <laughs> I mean, all of you need to do this, right? I don't know that anybody misses that. We may need to confess to the Lord and confess to our family and ask for their forgiveness for being harsh in our speech towards them. And then asking the Lord to help us grow in gentle, life-giving speech and ask our brothers and sisters to pray with us that we would be a people of gentle words that enrich our own hearts and the hearts of others. And sometimes the best way that we can be life-giving with our words is to be quiet. So secondly, here's the thing. Use your words only if needed. Use your words only if needed. You know, one of the observational jokes often made about Job's companions is that they were doing great until they opened their mouths. Sometimes when we don't know what to say or we don't know the answer, we'll pretend we do so that we don't look stupid or ignorant. Or, or sometimes the answer we blurt out is before the question's finished because we're arrogant and we want people to see our intelligence. I know the answer. I can't wait to give it to you. Sometimes when we don't know what to say, but feel the need to say something, we end up saying foolish things and, and even unintentionally, desperately hurtful things. I feel like this is my life on repeat. In fact, Proverbs 19 is at the top of the list of my scripture memorization app. What is Proverbs 10:19? Well, here it is. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Don't miss the plain teaching of that proverb. Talking too much is a recipe for committing sin. Restraint of your comments will demonstrate prudence. This week, I tuned into the Southern Baptist Convention live stream, and I found myself thinking, what if every person who tweeted or stood at a microphone Stop for a moment and read that proverb before they said a word out loud. But in my self-righteousness, 
I felt the sting of my own sin when I complained to my wife about all those idiots who were speaking into the microphone things that were foolish. My words multiplied and my sin was apparent. We, we, we all might be served really well by learning not to hit send, not saying that thought, to not give our opinion. Like Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but what does he like? But only in expressing his opinion. Social media has given everyone a platform for saying whatever they think on the internet and keyboard warriors click away their thoughts and their rants and their gripes and their opinions and so often we as Christians when we do that look like utter fools or even worse, we speak wickedly. Bruce Waltke, a commentator on the the book of Proverbs, gave a sobering insight years ago about these word Proverbs as they relate to the the world that we live in of social media. He says this, In today's culture of mass communication, we possess the power to expose anyone's sin or weakness to millions of people. Sometimes such public shaming may achieve just ends, but most often it unleashes a monster that can destroy a person unmercifully and without due process. And unlike God's forgiveness, which includes a promise to forget the penitent sins, the internet never forgets. Once something is posted, it's there forever. In such a culture, God's people will have to carefully consider the wisdom of these Proverbs before participating in any such use of mass media. In case you think I'm perfect, which I know many of you do. It's not true. Let me disabuse you of such a notion with a story of my own failure. I engaged in a dispute with someone on Facebook years ago while serving on staff at a church in Georgia. The guy who was commenting was a guy who was constantly posting. He was a former angry member of the church who left and relocated, but still found his way onto social media to badger the members, pastor, slander, he would do it in, so, in passive-aggressive ways, and he was pontificating about the uselessness of short-term mission trips right at the season where our church was gearing up to visit places like the Ukraine and uh, the Native American peoples in Canada and in Liberia. And I snapped, and I posted a tirade online, not naming him because I was a coward, And he entered the comments and went after me. And I fired back at him, and then I blocked him from commenting, satisfied that he will not post on my feed so I could be sure that I had the last word. He had many of the email addresses for the members of the church and sent a mass email condemning my actions and using my pathetic excuse of of behavior as yet another example of how our church stunk. But I got the response from our members saying things like, Don't listen to him, Mike. You were right, Mike. He's the problem, not you, Mike. But a friend from college messaged me and simply asked this. Are you okay, man? That was really public. And immediately, I was aware that I was not simply alone in my office with my keyboard. But I had used my words in a sinful way. And others had condoned me because I was one of the pastors of their church. 
Your choice to speak does not just impact you. Or even the person you engage with in speech. But just like every other sinful action, the reach of our sin is always deeper and farther than we expect it to go. We must learn to use our words only when they are needed. Are there times to address sin? Of course. Are there times to speak? Yes. But right now, I want you to see this. Wisdom in speech is found when you talk far less and listen far more. Consider these Proverbs. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. It's not our job to simply say whatever comes to our minds at any given moment. It's far more beneficial and Christ-like to restrain our tongues. Skill in the art of godly speaking, for many of us, will be speaking far more carefully and far less casually. I swear I didn't give Chad that note before he prayed that today. That's just the Lord. So maybe you're constantly joking. Everything has to have a punchline. And yet you wonder why people struggle to take you seriously. Maybe you're constantly weighing in about current affairs and conversations. And you wonder why people seem eager to get out of conversations with you. Maybe you tend to overshare about your life in public settings. And you wonder why your spouse is embarrassed. I apologize, babe. I'm working on it. The amount of words you speak matter. The words you choose to speak matter. The tone of your speech matters. Hear me, take heed of the Proverbs warning. They are good for you. One, funny, one of the funnier Proverbs of this topic played out in an unfortunate way in London the proverb says in Proverbs 18:6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A disgruntled young man was making a scene outside of Wembley Stadium. He was threatening and shouting at the security guards, rattling the gates. And I assume you're trying to piece together because you don't know. I assume this guy thought they were just run-of-the-mill tough guys that he could back down because he was a big man. What, what he didn't realize was that the guard he was shouting, shouting at was once a boxer who had fought none other than Mike Tyson. And if you don't know who Mike Tyson is, he's a legendary boxer. And all it took was one comment too many. And faster than the camera could catch it, there was a right hook and that man was asleep on the ground. A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. The Puritan Thomas Watson is so helpful when he writes this. God has set two natural fences to keep in the tongue. The teeth, whoops, close them. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Reigning in our talk is the mark of increasing skill in the art of godly living. But we can't just be silent. 
The Proverbs do not indicate that we should never speak. In fact, there are times when we must speak. So the third use that I would give you is this. Use your words with discernment. Use your words with discernment. Just as speaking too much is a problem, not speaking can equally be foolish and even wicked. The Proverbs give us categories for timing and types of speech that demonstrate wisdom. This means that we must have discernment or right judgment when we speak, like we read in Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Notice the connection. Remember last week we considered heart wisdom. Notice how the connection between the heart and mouth is here. The connection of reflecting in the heart being the basis for a helpful word. And the Proverbs encourage us to, to the, in the right use of our words and the tremendous benefit discerning words bring. Remember, words are powerful. Listen to these Proverbs, verse, or chapter 16, verse 24. Gracious words, Gary prayed this for us. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Think, think about what he's saying there. Speaking with discernment is speaking graciously, if nothing else, and we have the very message of grace that we offer to each other and to the world, and many of us no doubt know the truthfulness of this proverb inherently. Have you ever been encouraged? I hope you have, because it is so sweet and so precious. To receive heartfelt encouragement is so sweet to the soul. And, and I would like to say this to you, Redeemer, you exceed at encouraging me. You are nearly a constant source of encouragement with your comments, texts, emails, and messages. It, it is so life-giving to me to receive your encouragement. But what you do for me, you should do for each other. Speaking gracious words with life-giving truth from God's word, and that act brings what the proverb says is sweetness to the soul and even, listen, health to the body. It shouldn't surprise us that harsh and wicked words often lead people to premature death and deep sorrow. Surely we can see and attest to how a word at the right moment from a tender brother or sister in Christ is sweetness and life. So learn God's promises for yourself and then give them away all the time. Just give them away. You can trust. He said him. He'll make him. He's going to make good on what he said. Give God's promises to each other that all might receive the gift of his gracious words because that is satisfying to give and to receive gracious words that is so sweet to the soul and life to the body. But, but discerning words also help us when we face difficult questions about life. We read in Proverbs 25, 11, and 12, a word fitly spoken, that means at the right time and the right place, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And in Proverbs 15, verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. When we need instruction or have questions about God, His Word, or the Christian life, how helpful is it to have dear friends who will help us find the answers or speak the answers to us? 
And this should occur in the church as we wrestle against sin, as we face the challenges of the world. We ought to regularly seek out counsel from each other because we often find so much good insight from our fellow Christians as they help us. It's a joy. It's a treasure. This is why we also encourage you to pick up the books on the table in the back. It's not a library. You can actually take them and keep them. Not because they're better than the Bible. They're not. But many of them will help you better understand the Bible and apply it to your life. They are filled with good answers to meaningful questions. Better yet, if there's two copies of books, a book back there, take two and begin meeting with a fellow church member to talk about what you are discovering as the written page becomes a living application of this proverb to your soul. What about when we see others hurting? hurting? We, should we speak? The Proverbs, I think, tell us, yes, listen to Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. There are other times we should speak, and I thought about calling the next portion of my sermon Mike's unpopular opinion, but that felt cowardly. Because God's word is straightforward. And we are told in Proverbs of specific occasions to open our mouths. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Friends, it is either exceedingly popular or exceedingly unpopular to speak about social injustice in the context of the local church. Not necessarily that the local church, but the injustices of society. Christians who look at our history and culture and find evidence of systemic racism are called social justice warriors and they're condemned as woke liberals who are seeking to undercut the very gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, Christians who see improvements in racial harmony and hope for the future and desire to maintain what is good from our nation while condemning what is wicked are called white supremacists and Christian nationalists. This polarity makes many of us afraid to do what this proverb plainly tells us to do for fear of being typecast or labeled as something we aren't. But church, hear me. Do not fear what man says about you. Fear the Lord. If he calls us to speak out against injustice, we speak out against it. We don't explain it away. Here we see that silence is wrong when people are destitute and left defenseless in our world. We must be those who speak against oppression wherever we find it. Whether the oppressed are inside the womb or outside the womb. And without consideration of ethnicity, wherever we see it, we must speak out against it. To remain silent is to do exactly the opposite of what these Proverbs tell us to do. And it's not just the Old Testament, my brothers and sisters. Listen to James who tells us in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Why orphans and widows? Because they were the poor and the needy of the ancient world. To speak out against evil and care for those who have been afflicted isn't wokeness. It's not Christian nationalism. 
It's just following the teaching of Scripture. To speak about issues of injustice and poverty requires discernment and care. And I am not encouraging us to speak as non-Christians speak about these matters. That would be folly as well. Yet, where there is injustice and destitute people and God's people remain silent, we are not obeying these clear words. Yet in our words against injustice and oppression, we must also hold out the only real hope. The only hope we have for justice is that in Jesus, the law has been satisfied, that he has borne the penalty for every injustice, every unjust thought, word, and deed, and that true justice for all humanity will never be complete until he returns. We speak for justice in the world, in light of the already not yet reality of our lives. We are already saved and secure, justified, and the return of Jesus is also not in question. But right now, we are in the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We are waiting for his final return to make every unjust oppression cease. It will be done and to bring lasting peace in his kingdom. In our talk, in our words, we have not been given a script, but we have been given a savior. And our only hope for learning to speak wisely is to lean on him, to seek out his help through the power of his Holy Spirit in order to change the way that we talk. If we would speak wisely and well, it's not going to happen apart from being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And friends, isn't it the person of Christ and his words that are so instructive for us? So I want to close by considering, I think, three thoughts. I didn't write the number. I just wrote a blank, but I got a few thoughts to close with. First this, if we would speak life, speak less, and speak with discernment, we must listen more than we talk. It's not strange that so much of the first Proverbs is relentless about listening and even memorizing God's word. When the Bible becomes a part of the fabric of our minds and our hearts, we speak more like Jesus. Because we have taken the word of God and ascribed it on our hearts by reading, listening, meditating, and memorizing the scripture. You will speak with more like Christ, with more wisdom, as much as you listen to Jesus in the scriptures. Thus, we do what Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice, friends, listen, that the sweet speech we give to others comes after we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Which leads to this, a second thought. Guard your self-talk. Guard your self-talk. Here's what I mean. You talk to you more than anyone else. Your words to yourself are not outside of the boundaries of everything we've talked about today. They're not unimportant. In fact, your words to yourself are crucial. Many times in Scripture, the phrase, say in your heart, 
occurs. There are ways that we are to talk to ourselves, and there are ways that we are not not to talk to ourselves. We are told what not to say in our heart and what to say in our heart. There's a whole sermon we could spend on this, but that's not today. Yet I wonder, does your self-talk sound like Jesus? Are you, di- are you dismissive of his clear command to you to take up your cross and follow him? Do you explain away in your mind and heart conviction of sin when it comes? Or how about this? How about what I think is equally prevalent in your relentless self-talk? Are you relentlessly self-condemning? Speaking to yourself far more harshly than Jesus ever would. I was talking to a dear friend who shared with me that they felt worthless that they weren't using their life wisely or well, and they were just a waste of space. And my question to them was this, is that the kind of thing you think Jesus is saying to you? Is that how you believe Jesus would talk to you? The answer, of course, is no. No. But church, is that the sound of the talk in your heart and mind? Let me assure you that those words are not words of life. They're words of death. And Jesus has told us exactly who came to kill, steal, and destroy. And that includes the destruction of your confidence in Christ. Do not listen to the serpentine lies of Satan. Listen to Jesus who speaks to you through Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Lord acquits who can condemn. Though Satan's accusations fly, his power can never reach our names to blot them from the book of life. The Son has surely made us free. His word forever stands, and all our joy is knowing we are graven on his wounded hands. Finally, Let the way Christ uses his words towards you be the fuel for the way you use your words towards others. The message of Proverbs is that our words can be transformed by God to be godly. As as we listen to Jesus speak to us, then we can be more like Christ when we open our mouths to speak to others. We will find ourselves speaking life, speaking far less, speaking with greater discernment because we have the word of Christ dwelling in us And we're able to give that same word of Christ to each other and to the world. Listen to Jesus so that you learn to talk like him. As a teenager, I experienced the WWJD bracelet fad. Some of you know this. There was a time where many Christians, maybe just Christians in name only too, wore a bracelet that simply had WWJD on them, which stood for What would Jesus do? The idea was that it would be a visible reminder before making a choice to stop and ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Now the fad came and went, and many pious holy theologians, just read Mike Godfrey there, pointed out that no one can truly answer that question because none of us is Jesus. So how can we know what he would do? And yet, I do think there's something now to the question when it comes to our talk. We can ask ourselves, do my words resemble my Savior? You will not speak perfectly. But ask yourself, when I speak, 
Do my words ring with the wisdom of heaven or the folly of hell? Surely, if we would take the message of the Proverbs to heart, we would speak far less. And yet, beloved, would we not also learn to treasure the words which are sweetest? Words like, take, eat, this is my body. And this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus speaks life to us, even as we take the bread and cup together as his church. And as we prepare to approach the Lord's Supper, let me pray for us before Gary comes to lead us in our celebration. Let's pray.